Today we call um, Good Shepherd Sunday because in all the years, in each of the three years on this Sunday, we'll read a part of the great 10th chapter of St. John's Gospel in which Jesus proposes to us this image of himself as the Good Shepherd. He proposes that he, in actual fact, is uh, the Good Shepherd and that in, it is in being a part of his flock that we find the most complete and adequate formula for our humanity. And this is the thing I'd like to, us to think about today, that this invitation to be uh, the sheep of the Lord's flock is not an invitation to be something less than fully human. In fact, it's an invitation to live our humanity to the full in all and each and every one of its dimensions. Um, Jesus calls us to recognize our belonging. At the core of the message of the Good Shepherd is our belonging. Our belonging, that is that we are his. We truly are his. There are many ways we can think about our life. Um, and there are many ways we do think about our life. And in actual fact, the very form that the original sin took was the form of a declaration of autonomy. Because it's this declaration of autonomy from God that is the thing that is most directly opposed to this being the sheep of the flock of the Lord, that, that flock for which he gave his life and that flock which he promises us he will effectively bring to the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. Adam and Eve decided in the Garden of Eden that they had a better plan than God's plan. They felt that they could do a better job to secure their own happiness, their own fulfillment, uh, and the completion, the, the living out of their humanity. They conceived that they could do better for themselves with their own energies and with their own abilities, with their own skills, with their own projects, with their own imaginings, they thought that they could do better by themselves than with God. And this is the heart, this is the form of sin. When we examine our conscience, we should look at it that way. We should look at it as a little bit of original sin because every sin participates in some way in the nature of original sin because it only is a sin because it is exactly this. It is us affirming something that we don't have. We are not autonomous. We are creatures. We are made. We are created. The very word creature has as its root word create. We are creatures. We are the outcome of an act of creation, an act of creation by God. We are his. We belong to him. You bake a cake. It's your cake. You made it and it comes out. Uh, if, your, if your cake suddenly decided, hey, I want to feed the people next door instead of you for dinner, and your cake started walking across the table, you'd be pretty worried. But I know it's humorous, but this is exactly what we do as the creatures of God. We have been made by God. We have been given life by God. We have been made magnificently by God. We have intellect. We have freedom. We have will. We have uh, so many gifts from God, but, the, but fundamentally it's intellect and freedom. 
because freedom and will are really ultimately the same gift. We have intellect and freedom given to us by God. And this, is an, this makes us an extraordinary, an extraordinary creature, an extraordinary piece, an extraordinary incidence of God's creation. Man is an extraordinary creature. And throughout history, man has always been tempted not only to recognize his limits, but also to think that he is God. He is God. You can find a, a Roman emperor, I think it was Vespasian, saying, I can as he's dying, sitting in a chair dying, he's saying, I can feel myself becoming a God right now, right? Absurd when we think of it now. Um, but that's, that's what he said. Man tends to sometimes think he's God. And one of the reasons he's tempted to think he's God is because we are made so beautifully, so completely, and so well by God. We are a magnificent creature. The human being is a magnificent creature. The problem is that that magnificent creature does start to walk across the table and say, I don't want to do it your way anymore. I want to do it my way. I don't want that relationship of the creator with the creature. I don't want that generative relationship with you. I want to be independent of you. I want to do my own thing. Jesus came precisely to call the world after original sin. Jesus came to call the world back into that relationship with him, that relationship of belonging to him. And that is what Jesus is talking about in all of the gospel. We could go through the whole gospel and I could pick out every teaching that Jesus has one by one and you would see that ultimately he's always inviting us back into that correct relationship with God. In the language of the church we say, following St. Paul, that God wanted to reconcile the world to himself. That word reconcile, when do you get reconciled? You get reconciled if there's some big bust up in the family and everyone's a bit estranged from each other and no one's confident to talk to each other anymore. And you get reconciled. Oh, we were reconciled. I was reconciled with my sister. I was reconciled with my brother. I was reconciled with my parents. Returning to the true relationship that's what reconciled means. And that's what Jesus is always inviting us to. And when he uses this image of the sheep and the, and the shepherd, he means exactly this relationship. This relationship of the recognition of our belonging to the Lord. And the recognition that there is no, there is no better path. There is no better path for us than in the affirmation and the living of that relationship of belonging to our maker and our creator, that we, in the words that we used just on yesterday, during the confirmation, the last great gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, the one that most people find the most troublesome, fear of the Lord, fear of the Lord. Um, fear of the Lord isn't, isn't um, cowering um, fear. It is acknowledgement of greatness, acknowledgement of the truth of our relationship with him, that we are made for the relationship with him. Now, what is that relationship with him? Well, that relationship with him is shown to us in his sending his son, Jesus, to show us the relationship to which he invites us 
with him so that we might be won over in our freedom by the attractiveness of Christ, by how beautiful is the life that by, uh, which Christ offers to us. You know that in the Roman Empire, in the, in the first expansion of Christianity, Christianity was expanded entirely by people realizing this is just better. These stupid gods of Zeus and, and all, the other, all the other ones that are fighting, stabbing each other in the back and betraying each other, doesn't make any sense. But what these Christians are living is, is something extraordinary and something beautiful. See how they love one another is one of the phrases of the pagan world that is captured for us in the Acts of the Apostles. See how they love one another. It was entirely by attraction that the church grew in the first centuries. There's a beautiful book that I read called Conversion to Christianity in the First Centuries. And he goes through very scientifically and he looks and examines and analyzes how the church grew so uh, exponentially in those first couple of hundred years to eventually dominate the greatest empire that had been known on the face of the world. And he concludes that it was very, very rarely because somebody got up and made a great and powerful and wonderful speech and many people then decided they'd be Christians. It was nearly always because of the lives, because people invited their friends to share their lives in Christ. And those friends saw immediately and directly that that life to which their friends were inviting them was a better life, a more joyful life, a more complete life, a more human life. And they became members of the flock. They became members of the flock through baptism and through belonging, through acknowledging their belonging to Christ. My friends, we are gathered here because we belong to him. We are his flock. We are his flock. Um, and Jesus has gathered us here so that we might have life to the full. This is one of the beautiful expressions we find in this chapter of John's Gospel as part of the Good Shepherd, uh, the image of the Good Shepherd. It's not in today's reading, but it's a beautiful phrase. I came so that you might have life and have it to the full. This is why the pagans became Christians, because they had life. They were able to move around and do things, but they realized when they saw the Christians that the Christians had something more of life that they did not have, something desirable, something attractive, something beautiful, something that illuminated the world in beauty and in goodness. That, my friends, is I came so that you might have life. We all have life, biological life, and have it to the full. It's this fullness of life that Jesus gives us, and it's this fullness of life that is the beginning of eternal life. It's not something separate. What, when we want to understand what eternal life is and what it will be for us, instead of imagining clouds and, and I don't know what you might like to imagine up there in the sky, we can't imagine it that way. Where what we can do is we can look at that extra life, that profound and deep gladness of soul, that, that deeper and more beautiful civilization to which we belong which is all a part of this gift because 
As I said, we human beings, when we attach ourselves to Christ as his sheep, the sheep of his flock, when we follow him, we receive, even now, the beginning of his full gifts, of all of his gifts. There is joy and gladness in the heart, and that gladness and joy is the best way for us to begin to get our minds around what the Lord has promised to us and promises to us in a very powerful way in this gospel. I'm going to finish by drawing your attention again to this these extraordinary promises of Jesus in the gospel. I know them and they follow me. That's the sheep of his flock. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can take them out of my hand. My Father who gives them, them to me is greater than all, and no one can take them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. My friends, Jesus has us firmly in his grip, and no one will pull us out of his hands. That is the promise that Jesus makes to us. So let us adhere to him. Let us stay with him. Let us stay within that sheepfold. Let us recognize that our dignity is found not in some self-affirmation, which ends up being 80 or 90 years of pathetic life, but rather let us accept from the giver of life and the maker of our humanity the fullness of life. 80 or 90 beautiful years in this world, followed by the fulfillment of that beauty and goodness in life forever with him. Let us stay within this great flock, which is our true home, our true place, and where we as human beings can truly thrive.